Hello and welcome to Wagawheel Coffee Table. It's a film podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table podcast. I'm your host Ellis. Uh, this is episode 28. Yep, episode 28. Um, I'm I'm recording this um, before even episode 27's come out, but I think this one's going to come out towards the end of the year. So I hope everyone had a fantastic Christmas. If you didn't, if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a fantastic 25th of December. Um, but yes, Christmas is over. We're moving into the new year. Um, the next episode after next episode after this one is going to be uh, ranking every film I watched for the first time in 2023. We did the same thing last year with films I watched in 2022. So I will that will be the next episode, probably come out in the new year, first week of January, I hope. Um, yes, um, I've watched a lot more films that I haven't watched before this year. Um, so it's going to be a it's going to be a hefty episode, I think. The one that I did for 2022 was about an hour long, and I've watched maybe double the amount of new films this year, so it could be a long episode. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, 2024 is a big year for this podcast. Um, I'm planning on being consistent and productive with it and putting effort into it and trying to get more reach for it and market it more and get it out there more. Um, so hopefully... Um, that happens this year and if it doesn't then it's, it's fine it's fine we'll I just enjoy doing it um and you know a big reason why I enjoy, enjoy doing it is because I get to talk about films and good films sometimes um and today is no different today we're talking about The Boy and the Heron um Hayao Miyazaki's latest and maybe last probably last film yeah I watched it last night I don't I thought it wasn't being released until January in the UK um but Cineworld showed it last night so I went along, sorry, in IMAX, and I would like to talk about it because I have thoughts. Um, before you get worried, I loved it. Um, this isn't this isn't a, uh, this isn't a podcast saying how much I didn't like it and how much I was disappointed by it. This is one why I want to talk about how amazing it was. Before we go into that, just a few quick things. As always, um, you can follow the show um on x or twitter if you're normal um at wwct podcast or just type in wagon wheel coffee table podcast i have one follower so <laughs> let's get those numbers up a little bit i'm tweet i was tweeting yesterday um about um the boy and the heron um and i was just kind of thinking it at night and on the drive home actually about you know what i just kind of want to sit down and talk about it because i didn't have a podcast planned for between christmas and the new year um i knew what the christmas one was which is love actually um and i knew what the new year one was going to be which was the every film i watched in 2023 for the first time i didn't have one in between and i thought why not talk about the boy and the heron i'm a big miyazaki fan i've seen all his films we've done a ranked episode where i ranked all of his films on this podcast you can go back and listen to that it's episode episode 23 so Back in July, we did that, and you know we might. And I think in this episode, we'll reevaluate that list, um, or maybe see where the boy in the heron fits in. Because I've I've put it in the list on my letterbox, but I don't know if I agree with it. So we can chat through that after I've maybe spoken about it, and maybe my opinion will change as the episode goes on. But yes, so I saw the boy in the heron yesterday, 
Um, very impressed by it. Uh, I do want to say that I, I've never seen a Miyazaki or in fact a Ghibli film in the cinema. Um, the first Ghibli film I watched was Spirited Away back at uni. So not even that long ago. I, I've been, I haven't been a Miyazaki fan for very long. Um, I think by that time, The Wind Rises has, had come out. Oh yeah, 2013 was The Wind Rises. So, or 2014. Um, so, you know, I haven't been a, a fan whilst a new Miyazaki film has come out. So this felt like a very important time and one where as soon as I knew that Cineworld was showing it, I was I have to go and see it because so far I haven't had an opportunity to see it in the UK. Um, so it felt like a big moment for me just because ever since I watched Spirited Away for the first time, first time and didn't love it, but then was kind of fascinated by it um, and did a essay on Miyazaki and Spirited Away at university um and then kind of since then i've what has watched all his film i've watched all his films and been in love with all of them really uh yeah his 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 films are very near and dear to my heart they include a lot of themes that i am passionate about um and themes that i kind of lash on latch onto to do with like i think i spoke about this during the ranking video that i did with miyazaki but you know about um, themes about um, childlike wonder, the environment, war, um, pacifism, industrialization, all these things that, you know, are things that I find really interesting. And the fact that it's kind of put through the lens of a beautifully animated film that has fantastical elements, that isn't boring, it's fun. Like, his films are really fun. You're never bored in a Miyazaki film. You might be a bit confused or you might be a bit intimidated, but you're never bored. Um, and I think that's really powerful, actually, and really important because themes themes like that are often off-putting for people. I think for some reason, and in in films like this, like Boy in the Heron, and all of it, all of his other work, uh, it's not, uh, and it's really interesting. But anyway, I'm kind of getting bogged down in other stuff now. So yes, I watched Boy in the Heron yesterday. Really excited for it. Really excited to see one of his films in the cinema. As I said, um, I kind of. <laughs> Before the film started, obviously the the rating card comes up, um, and I was like, "Oh, I'm watching a Miyazaki film," and then the big blue Studio Ghibli title card comes up, and yeah, I just I almost got a bit emotional. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm seeing a Miyazaki film. I'm seeing a Ghibli film on the big screen in IMAX on my own." <laughs> I'm just, I just felt it felt a very um, special um and one I'd, I'd always wanted to happen i ghibli films have always been a you know watching them on the sofa wrapped in a blanket kind of film for me and it was really nice to watch it on the big screen and be transported into another dimension and another world um and you know miyazaki films are are otherworldly and are incredible at world building um but so I'll go into some details of the film now. So spoilers for The Boy and the Heron. Um, I'm assuming that maybe not many people have seen it. Because this is, as far as I know, this is the first time it's shown in UK, in the UK, outside of festivals, I think. Um, but yes, so, Boy and the Heron. Um, I'll read out the synopsis. Synopsis? That's disgusting. Synopsis. While the Second World War rages, the teenage Mojito... 
haunted by his mother's tragic death, is relocated from Tokyo to a serene rural home of his new steps, stepmother, Natsuko, a woman who bears a striking resemblance to the boy's mother. As he tries to adjust, this new world grows even stranger, following the appearance of a persistent grey heron who perplexes and bedevils Mahito, dubbing him the long-awaited one. So, from what I've heard about this film prior to this, um, a few people criticised it of it being a little too confusing, a little bit too dense, um, in terms of there's a lot of ideas packed in there, but I've kind of come to expect that from Miyazaki, with, you know, Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, these are all very um, dense films, and ones with lots of ideas, and even Nausicaa, that has that in as well. Um, and the original title, I think, is called How Do We Live? I was kind of getting the impression that this was going to be a very introspective... Um, you know, I heard... I was watching Chris uh, Chris, St- Chris Stuckman's... Is that his name? Oh, Chris Stuckman. Not Chris Stuckman. I was close. I was close. But anyway, yeah. So, I was watching his review of it, um, and he was saying... And I was kind of feeling the same way. He put it well in the fact that how do we live... Um, to me, sounds very introspective and about lots of very uh, interesting themes and one that's going to be very thought-provoking. But then when they changed it to Boy and the Heron, although I'm sure the story didn't change between the title change, changing it to Boy and the Heron makes me remind, reminds me of, makes me think of Kiki's Dis- Delivery Service or Ponyo or Castle in the Sky you know what a film that is very not not surface level because those films are about a lot of things but are, but those films aren't as dense i think are as um as some of the other ones like spirited away like mononoke like house moving castle um so i was kind of i wasn't really sure what to expect and i started the, we started the film the first two acts i was kind of quite proud of myself I was like wow i feel like i'm really on top of this, I feel like I'm understanding everything that's going on. I understand kind of what these metaphors are for. I think, um, and then the kind of the third act happens, or the end of the film. Kind of, yeah, it's probably the third act actually. And I just was like, oh, this is a lot is happening now. The world suddenly got so much bigger because it's quite a small world throughout the first half, first hour and a half of the film, first hour of the film. Um, it's quite a small, it's quite a grounded film. Obviously you have the heron, which I'll come on to, to, uh, and certain other aspects of it. But, you know, up until that point, it's, it's quite grounded. And then the world suddenly just gets so much bigger. Um, and if you've seen the film, I think you probably know what I'm talking about, but it suddenly becomes like Spirited Away. It becomes like Carl's Moving Castle, where the world is just so incredible what i love about miyazaki's films is that you're placed with the main character into this new world and you get a sense that this world has been going on forever and will go on and continue without us maybe not necessarily that but you get the idea that yeah this 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 is a world that's been happening for a long time and these are characters that have a place in this world there's a law to this world there's rules to this world um and i just love that cuz when you get to the other world in this film 
Um, again, I did say spoilers. When you get to the other world of this film, you suddenly realise it's so much bigger than you thought because up until that point, I was kind of thinking, oh, this is very Wind wind Rises. Um, well, not necessarily because there are fantastical elements with the talking heron and all that sort of stuff, but I thought it... I didn't know there was going to be another world to this film. I didn't know anything about this film. I'd, I think I'd maybe tried... To, I think, I'm think i not sure if I'd watched the trailer or not. I think I'd maybe seen clips or seen, like, screenshots of the trailer. Um, maybe started watching it and then turned it off. But I had no idea that there was another world, like there is in Spirited Away, like there is in The Howl's Moving Castle, um, and many others, and, you know, Totoro, that kind of stuff. So when that started to happen, I was like, amazing. I you know I was loving the the kind of the grounded film that I was getting, and I was really enjoying the characters, really enjoying their story and where they were going and where they came from. But then when they started going to the other world, I was like, yes, I'm watching a Miyazaki film. Does that make sense? Like, I'm in the cinema and it's starting to get fantastical. It's starting to get awe-inspiring. I was just so giddy when they... I might as well just talk through the plot now. Um, when they fall through the floor and go to this other world and there's the gate and then you go and there's all the parakeets, there's the the little um, white blob things that turn into humans on the other side. Like I was just like, oh, this, this is what I kind of wanted. I didn't know it's what I wanted, but it's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to be transported to a fantastical world. I mean, not to say I wouldn't have been disappointed with a film like Wind Rises, because I love the Wind Rises. I maybe prefer Wind Rises to this, but I was so happy that I was able to see Miyazaki doing Miyazaki on the big screen. Because the Wind Rises felt like something different. Uh, to me, it felt like his final film. It felt like he was doing something different and putting like a full stop um, on his work. And I was kind of interested to see what the boy in the heron would provide because this is 10 years later we thought he would retire 10 years ago but now he's this 10 years later he's released a film so this maybe is his last one it's more likely that it's his last one so i was interested to see what kind of full stop this would be and it is a perfect full stop um i'm sorry i'm kind of rambling i was going from plot points to now the metaphor with miyazaki but i'm just gonna go with my train of thought um it's a perfect full stop as i was saying and there are themes about legacy in this film, um, which I think are very prominent in his life at the minute. You know, he's he's an older man now. Um, he has a son who's trying to be a filmmaker as well, but so far it seems like Hayao Miyazaki doesn't really like his son's films. The public hasn't really liked his son's films. Um, you know, he's built Studio Ghibli with, you know, producers as well, but, you know, his films have really built this production company and he's coming to the end of that. He's coming to the end of his life, really, um, or maybe his professional life. And it's about legacy and what he's left behind and who will take over when he's gone, um, who will look after this world he has built. And there's, I didn't really realise that until I was kind of thinking about it afterwards, that the other world in The Boy and the Heron is Studio Ghibli. I think that can definitely be read in that way, where he he builds the blocks of it he has been in charge of this world or the foundations of this world it's where he gets his power he entered this world as a young man and he's now an old man and he wants to pass it on to a new generation 
and you know the 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 guy the great uncle in the film says i don't care if you destroy it i don't care if it lives on as it has done as long as it lives on i need to know that it lives on or that at least someone else makes that decision or i can't remember exactly but that is maybe him talking about studio ghibli he's built this and he wants someone to take over and not really have a sense of ownership in the fact that you have to keep it perfect you have to keep it as it is and as i've built it but just to know that someone will make a decision about this place um and i felt like it was him toiling with that and him toiling with his legacy and what he's going to leave behind and what he's built and is he proud of what he's built you know the the grand uncle talks about how the place that he's built is this beautiful paradise but you know the parakeets are there that are kind of like locusts maybe and are trying to take this world for themselves maybe that's disney i don't know that he let disney in or the producers let disney in and now they're trying to take over or i don't know what it is but there's a lot of stuff you can read into the parallels between miyazaki and studio ghibli and the great uncle and this other world in the boy and the heron and i think that's just really interesting and it's more of a a retrospective on his life than say the wind rises is the wind rises just felt like a different avenue for miyazaki and i thought that meant let me just show them something one last time that i can do but then this this felt like his most personal it felt like let me let you in i was tiff released uh, like a two-minute interview with guillermo del toro about miyazaki um when the boy in the heron came out when they showed it at tiff and Guillermo talks about how you how he feels like he knows Miyazaki by watching his films more than he would know Miyazaki by spending a road trip with him. And I think The Boy in the Heron is a perfect opportunity to get to know him and get to know what his thoughts are about himself because we know his thoughts on the world, we know his thoughts on war because, you know, of what his uh, father did as a job and his mother dying... Um, at a young age and all this kind of stuff we we know these things and he's explored these things in his other films but this one it felt like we were really getting to know him and really getting to know his thoughts on his legacy and his career and that he's proud of it but he doesn't know where it's going to go once he's gone in true Miyazaki fashion it's maybe it's quite a pessimistic but happy ending I don't know how to explain it because his world gets destroyed at the end or the grand uncle's world gets destroyed at the end by the parakeets who I'm metaphorically referring to as disney but yet they get to go back to the human world and i need to talk about the mother because i didn't really click who the fire girl was i can't can't remember the character's name i think it might be mimi but i can't remember um this fire girl um that you meet about halfway through the film and who she is i was kind of like this because we we know this other lady is the old woman um we know that this heron, we, we, the heron is from both worlds, but we don't know who this girl is, and she must be somebody. At the beginning of the film, I was like, this new stepmother must be related to the mother in some way. In some form, whether it's like in a mystical way or in an actual way, they must be related, because I think I missed... I don't know if they said they were sisters, but I think I missed it. Um, so I was like, okay, they must be related in some way. So then the little girl says, oh, that's my sister, when they're trying to find the stepmother. And that was like, okay, so this is the mother as a child. But it still didn't click with me because they were saying that the mother went missing for a year and then came back. It was like, no, this, this still doesn't click with me. 
I haven't clicked. This isn't clicked yet. And then I realized that the adventure, the adventure that she's on with Mihato, Mih- Mihito, Mihito, um, right now is that year away that she had. And they say that when she returned to the human world, she was smiling and happy. And that's because she just spent an adventure with her son. You know, she knows she's going to die in a fire in a hospital. And I just think that's beautiful. I, f- I really love that moment of them saying goodbye to each other and him saying, but you'll die. You'll die in that fire. And, so, and she's saying it's okay. <sighs> it just, it all came to, that story all came together so perfectly. I really, really loved that. And it just felt like we'd just been through like 20 minutes, half an hour of huge fantastical ideas and, and imagery and all this kind of stuff. And then we were just suddenly brought back down to the, the core of the story, this mother and this son and him son, son trying to find his mother and talk to his mother. And it just, it really just brought everything back together. And that's the beauty of storytelling. It's, you you can have this amazing world and these amazing ideas, but at the end of the day, you got to bring it back to what the story's about. And he did perfectly, in my opinion. I thought it was beautiful the way it all wrapped up. It did kind of, it almost lost me because it almost became too big when they started to introduce this whole like parakeet kingdom and like there's a king parakeet and all this kind of stuff that kind of lost me a little bit. I was like, okay, this is suddenly such a huge, huge world. I didn't realize this was going on. Like there's a king parakeet, but it kind of slowly drew me back in with the building blocks and the world being destroyed and them going back and the mother resolution. And then the ending was perfect the, obviously the story building of this film is you know perfect this is Miyazaki's bread and butter story uh, world building is his bread and butter he's incredible at molding these stories I just his mind must be I don't even know what goes on in his mind to think of this stuff to think of this kind of imagery it's just the imagination is beautiful it's so inspiring and I love the bit with the the little all I can think of is the like the the things from Doctor Who, the little things from the first, um, the parting of ways, the first um, Catherine Tate episode, those little things that they're floating up and they become humans on the other planet. I loved that. I was like, oh, that's such a cool idea. That's just something he's just thrown in. That like this world is both where death and where birth happen. It's limbo, but both in death and in birth. This is where you are before you are born. This is where you are when you die. And I just thought that was beautiful. And I just, I love being in Miyazaki worlds. Like you just, you just walk across that bridge in Spirited Away. You go through the tunnel in Boy in the Heron. It's just such a world that you're just brought into. You walk in, you, you walk through that door in Howl's Moving Castle. You go past that tree in, in Totoro. Uh, you get on that broomstick in Kiki's Delivery Service. You jump in the ocean like Ponyo. I don't know, but you know what I mean? It's you just transported to another world in all his films, and this world was just as good as any, and it felt like... This is going to sound maybe negative, but it felt like a greatest hits of Miyazaki. It felt like we were getting every element that we love about Miyazaki in one film. Um... For example, you have the ambitiousness and kind of the intimidatingness of Spirited Away, of 
um, Mononoke maybe, but you have the tenderness and the intimacy of Totoro, of Kiki's delivery service, of the wind risers, and I and you have a lot of the imagery of like Castle in the Sky, and Nausicaa. Like, I just thought it was a perfect amalgamation of all his work, whilst also being its own thing. Like, it felt like I was watching a greatest hits without watching a greatest hits. Like, I felt like I was still watching a new film, but I was like, oh, this feels so comfy. Like, this is kind of like Spirited Away. This this imagery is similar to Totoro. Like, even the heron and the parakeets having the, like, the chevrons on their chest. It was like, oh, that's, that's like Totoro. Totoro has those chevrons on his chest. I was just so giddy to be in this world and... I was listening to an audiobook on the way there, and on the way home, I put it on in the beginning, and then thought, oh, "This is, I need to really sit in this." So I just put on some Joe His, Joe Hisashi, is that his name, Joe Hisashi? Um, playlist on Spotify, and just drove home listening to this beautiful music from his greatest hits, and it just felt beautiful. Um, I just felt so privileged to be to have watched it in a cinema, and it to be amazing, you know, to not be let down. Because deep down I knew I wouldn't be let down by this film. But there's just a part of me, because I'd heard some of the criticism, that was like, oh, maybe it's going to be too impenetrable. Maybe it's going to be like the first time I watched Spirited Away, where I was so intimidated by it and didn't really get it. Maybe I'm going to have to watch it in a few years' time to truly understand The Boy and the Heron. But no, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and yes, it kind of I kind of lost what certain things were meaning at some point, but it brought me back in by the end. I didn't love, this is going to sound like sacrilege, but I didn't love the music in this. Um, I'm a big fan of Joe Hisashi and I love his soundtracks, you know, Totoro and Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and Ponyo and Wind Rises all have these beautiful, and Porcaroso all have these beautiful soundtracks that I listen to a lot. I listen to when I'm working, like at uni, I just used to have it on in the background and just, it's just beautiful. And this, when I noticed it, so it, there might have been points in this film where the music was subtle and I didn't really notice it and it was just taking me along in the story, but there are very specific uses of the piano in this film. When I think when the heron shows up and when certain things are happening, there's very specific uses of the piano and I didn't love it. It really reminded me of a very specific song in a film, but I can't remember it now. It's a very old film. I can't really remember it. Um... And it also reminded me of a of a, a track I used in a in my student short film that we actually reviewed in like episode three of this podcast. Um, in my A level short film, I used this like really cheesy track, and I and when they started playing the piano in this film, I was like, no, surely not. It can't be the same thing I used because it's original music from Joe. It can't be that. So I was kind of taken out a little bit by the music, and sometimes it felt a little bit out of place. Um, but then you kind of get used to it and it becomes like a motif. Um, so that was better. But I just didn't, it wasn't my favourite use of music compared to his other films. But, you know, the the other Ghibli films, the standard is so high when it comes to the soundtrack that this just didn't do it for me as much. Um, but it was still incredible. It just wasn't my cup of tea, really, at some points. Um, but that's kind of the really the only thing holding it back from being a 10 out of 10. Because I don't really care if there are some bits that I don't understand. It's like, I go, I'm not going into a Miyazaki film wanting to figure everything out. 
I'm going in to be transported away from life, <laughs> from this world. I'm going in to enjoy myself and be transfixed by his artistry. I'm not going in to not understand everything. And, you know, I've kind of been a hypocrite there because my criticism of Tenet was that I don't really understand it. I don't, like, what are you saying to me? But in Tenet, it feels like the filmmaker is being smarter than you, is saying, I'm smarter than you. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Chris Nolan. But it just, that's what I felt like. It felt like Chris was saying, I'm more than you. I understand this and you don't. Um, And, you know, since watching Oppenheimer, I've kind of maybe changed my opinion and maybe it's kind of a respect for the audience, a trust in the audience. But I just didn't understand it. I think it was too much. And the same with, like, similar to French Dispatch. And I've spoken about that before on my, my Wes Anderson ranking. And it felt very similar to the to in the way that it felt like the filmmaker was flexing on us a little bit. And maybe the people have a similar opinion about The Boy in the Heron and Spirited Away and these big films like Mononoke that they feel impenetrable and feel intimidating you know i felt that the first time i watched spirit of the way but what it feels like with miyazaki is that he's like don't worry if you don't understand it's fine there's there's bits in this film where they just they go through a triangular um like fantastical corridor and come to another world it seems like and the grand uncle the architect architect of this world is there and like that doesn't make any sense. What does that mean? Where are we, where are we right now? But it's, it doesn't matter. Miyazaki's saying it's okay. Just just let this happen. Just understand that this world allows for this to happen. You don't need to know why this is happening. You don't need to understand or what it means. Just let me take you on this journey. And it feels safe also to not understand. It just, it feels so comfy. I don't understand because I, I don't know how I'm... I'm explaining this badly, but when I'm not understanding something in, say, Tenet or The Godfather or The French Dispatch or, I don't know, I'm trying to think of films that I've kind of struggled to penetrate. So, like, Godfather Part Two, Tenet, and a whole host of other films, but there are a lot of films that when you don't understand something, it feels like you're being stupid and feels like you're being made fun of. But with Miyazaki films, it feels like that the film is saying it's okay. It feels like you're just taken by the hand and guided through this world. And, and you know, you, you'll see something and go, oh, and to your guide, to Miyazaki, you're like, oh, what does that mean? And he's like, it's okay. Just look at it. It's beautiful, isn't it? If you want to read something into it, that's fine. But if you don't, that's also fine. Just enjoy it. And that's what I feel like. Whereas with like Tenet, Tenet, it feels like Kristen is like barging you through this world. Instead of being guided by hand, he's like pushing you through. Like, come on, get through this world. Come on, go, go, go. What does that mean? Doesn't matter. You can't hear him. Doesn't matter. Let's go, 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 go. Whereas in his films and in The Boy and the Heron, it feels like you're being guided along and respected and just, it feels nice. I just want to be in that cinema again watching this film. So when I did the Miyazaki ranking on this on this podcast, that was obviously before The Boy and the Heron came out. So I thought I'd reevaluate it. So originally, 
I had Totoro, then Spirited Away, then Nausicaa, then Mononoke, then Wind Rises, then Howl's Moving Castle, then Kiki's, then Ponyo, then Castle in the Sky, then Pocoroso, then um, Castle Caliziostro. Now that might change, but I just kind of want to put the boy in the heron in there somewhere. So last night, on a whim, I put it in fourth. So Totoro, Spirited Away, Nausicaa, Boy in the Heron, Mononoke, Wind Rises, Howls, etc, etc. But is this right? Because I was looking through my ratings of each of these films, and Mononoke, I didn't rate as high as Wind Rises and Howl's Moving Castle, on, like, star rating, but it's above them in my list, just because I think they're... I think it's just a better film, Mononoke, than The Wind Rises and Howl's, even though I might not have enjoyed it as much. The Boy and the Heron feels like, as I say, like, all of his works together whilst it being original... But is it as good? Now like I've got a real soft spot for Spirit of the Way and Totoro are Undisputed 1 and 2, I think. I think I'm happy with The Boy and the Heron in 4th. I'm not too happy with it, but I feel like I, that's where I'm, I'm comfortable with it putting. So I'll repeat um, Totoro in 1st, then Spirit of the Way, then Nausicaa and, uh, of the Valley of the Wind, then The Boy and the Heron, then Princess Mononoke, then The Wind Rises, then Howl's Moving Castle, then Kiki's Delivery Service, then Ponyo, then Castle in the Sky, then Porco Rosso, then Lupin the Third, the castle of Cagliostro. Am I happy with that? I don't know. If, if you have a different list to me, I think I'm going to put this list up on, um, on Twitter, or X, sorry, I need to stop doing that. Um, I'm going to put this up on there, um, and if you, you know, if you want to come along and say hi um, and have your grievances with that list or maybe put your own list, maybe put your top five. Um, I think I'm pretty happy with that top five. I think the the, the top three, so Totoro, Spirited Away and Nausicaa are like my three favourites. And then The Boy and the Heron and Mononoke feel like the next two best films. Um, even though I probably enjoyed Wind Rises more than I enjoyed Mononoke. Anyway, I'm going to put it up on, on X, so come and come and say hello. Again, it's uh, WWCT Podcast, or just type in the Michael Mill Coffee Table Podcast. Um, but that's going to be it for this episode. I, I know this has been a bit of a ramble, but I quite enjoy these episodes where I just turn on the mic and just chat about a film that I've loved. Um, I haven't done one of these kinds of episodes in a while. Um, with, like, Love Actually, I kind of had points I wanted to put across, even though it felt like a bit of a ramble, I'm sure. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, of me talking about The Boy and the Heron. It's a film that, you know, it might be his last film. And I think we're, we we should feel privileged to be in the same time as Hayao Miyazaki and be alive when he's releasing films. Because I don't know that there will be an artist and a filmmaker like him ever again. And it's, a, it's going to be a sad day when we definitively won't have any more Hayao Miyazaki films. I know he says he'll, be, he'll retire, but, you know, this feels like a full stop. And it, maybe it won't be, but, you know, he's getting older now. It took 10 years to make this one. Maybe he won't have 10 years. Um, and that's a sad thought. You know, we might get some short films. We might get some, you know, weird collaborations with Star Wars again, but... It, if this is his last film, we should feel privileged that we're alive when it came out, um, or that we're alive to be able to see it and to see his other work as well, because I think we are truly blessed. And, you know, I've often thought that animation 
and animation films are the pinnacle of art the pinnacle of what we can do as artists because it incorporates you know things that films incorporate as well so music you know people people often talk about different things as being the pinnacle of art and i know it's quite um reductive to kind of say this is the best art form because what does that achieve really it just adds more discourse that doesn't need to be there but what i will say is that you know filmmaking incorporates you know music for score books you know screen like reading and writing it's in the there's a screenplay that someone's written it you know acting is in there performances in there um artistry in terms of like a cinematographer so photography is in there um and in animation there's actual artistry in there like painting and drawing like having watching a hand-drawn animation on the big screen felt like a privilege this year we've seen the super mario bros film and before the boy in the heron came on there was a trailer for a new illumination film about ducks migrating or something and it it just there's just so much less life in those films um compared to a hand-drawn you know 10 years in the making film by a master of his art form and i'm just so privileged to be able to see it and i hope that everybody sees it i hope it does well at the box office because studios need to understand that there's still a place for hand-drawn art and hand-drawn films and hand-drawn animation even if this is Miyazaki's last film we need a new generation of artists and directors and filmmakers to take over the mantle like Miyazaki talks about it in The Boy and the Heron like who's going to be the next guy who's going to be you know we don't need the next guy but you know there's going to be a big hole in filmmaking where Miyazaki hangs up his pencil. Um, So we need to cherish his films and we need to look to the future and make sure that um, pencil-drawn and hand-drawn animated films don't fall by the wayside. But yeah, that's my piece on that. Um, I hope, please everyone, if you get a chance to see it, please do. It's incredible. I've always kind of said, oh, you don't need to watch Ghibli films on the big screen because it's nice being in a blanket with a cup of tea watching a Ghibli film. And that is true. But seeing this on an IMAX screen was a big moment for me. Um, it felt like I was experiencing something important. It felt like I was I was there for something. You know, when we all went and watched Parasite, it was like, this is a moment. It felt like that. It felt like that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. As I say, the next episode will be, hopefully, um, every film I watch for the first time in 2023. It's going to be a long one. So, you know, be ready for that. Um, But thank you so much for listening. Um, Hope your new year goes well. Hope all your resolutions don't fall by the wayside so quickly. And I've said that fall by the wayside twice. And I don't know if I've said it in the past year. Anyway. As I said before, thank you so much for listening. Follow the show on X at WWCT Podcast or just type in Wagon Wheel Coffee Table Podcast. Um, follow me on Letterbox if you want, LSJ Carr. It's going to be a big year, hopefully, um, for this podcast. I'm hoping to put a lot of effort into it. We'll see. You know, I might get busy and not be able to do it like I did in the second half of, of 2023, but I'm hoping to put some effort in and I'm hoping for big things from this podcast in 2024. Um, so I hope you come along for that journey. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Have a good new year. Bye.